So the last you know, few weeks have been challenging for all of us. Uh, you know, one positive thing uh, is that, that now we have cleaner air. You know, there is less pollution. And so I'm sure the global warming has kind of slowed down a little bit, not much. And we have a quieter Earth. And um, in a twisted irony, I heard the news that the ISIS has been telling their people uh, to wash their hands frequently and not to congregate, right? Um, I mean, so even the terrorists are doing the social distance, uh, distancing. Uh, you, you can see that I'm trying to find some positive things to say in, in this situation. But the reality is, it is a very difficult time. You know, even the, the ISIS, now they are changing their tactics and they are planning more attacks. I mean, it's just crazy. This pandemic, you know, also led to a great, you know, toilet paper panic. Now, you know, it's just flying off the shelf and we can't even find them anymore. And it's spilled into other things, rubbing alcohol, uh, disinfectant wipes and all these other things. I mean, we are living through an extraordinary time. Yeah, the horrifying news keeps piling on. And, you know, there's been a report. Oh, just a, there's a spike in racism against Asians. And there will be more uh, people, especially as they're going through tough times. You know, the, uh, the natural instinct is to find scapegoat. They want someone to blame. So more likely, as more and more people get furloughed or laid off and going through hardships, yeah, they're going to they're gonna just direct their anger and frustration at the government and also the Asians. Um, you know, what started as a public health problem is now really turning into a full-blown economic crisis. And already some of us are being affected. And also in job-wise, I already, you know, I'm just hearing from people that they are getting furloughed left and right. You know, we are still in the early innings of this fight against the coronavirus. And there's more pain to come. Brace yourselves. And so in this time of fear and anxiety, our faith is being tested. You know, it is one thing for us to trust God when it's smooth sailing. Anyone can talk the talk when things are going well. However, when our way of life is pro being profoundly altered, then we get to really find out what we really believe about God. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Crisis like this reveals our theology and what we truly value. And I think that's uh, some of the things that Pastor Jay talked about last week. When nothing is at stake, sure, we can all sing about God's goodness because God is good when there's no trouble. But when your world craters, it's a different story. How we respond is a good indication of the maturity and the substance of our faith. So this is a really a good test for us to really examine what we truly believe, what we truly believe about God. Hardships can either strengthen your faith or it can really bring you down. I know a guy who, 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 uh, who is still a church leader, and he was, you know, this happened many years ago. He was a really spiritual. Everybody thought, even including myself, thought, man, he is one spiritual guy. He loves the Lord, and, 
uh, and all these things. But then uh, something happened and his world collapsed around him. And then we thought, okay, you know, it's situation is really tough for him. His world basically caved in. But we expected him to kind of just, you know, handle it in a uh, godly way, in a gracious way. But when that happened, he started blaming other people. And along the way, he hurt a lot of people. And I was really caught off guard just the way he reacted to what happened to him. He eventually uh, rebounded. But it was really, to me, it was a, a telling sign of his maturity. He really fooled all of us. It's just the way how he handled the adversity. Uh, when things were going well, I mean, he was praising God and he was serving greatly. But when things were really, when he faced difficulties, he really uh, kind of showed what he was really about. And as we are going through this time together, this is a time for us to look to Christ. I say that all the time because we have to. We must look to Christ at all times, but more so now. And you know, today's passage may seem similar to the passage that uh, Pastor Jay talked about, preached a couple weeks ago. Even uh, Grace, you know, I told her that what I'm going to be preaching on, and she goes, hey, didn't Pastor Jay already talk about this passage? And I'm like, well, it's, uh, yeah, it's a similar story, but it's not the same story. Uh, it's, it's a different one, and there are different things that we can draw from, from this passage. Because in Matthew 8, where uh, Pastor Jay talked about, uh, Jesus was with the disciples in the boat. I mean, he was asleep, but he was there with them in the great storm. But here, Jesus was not with them, at least initially. So then what does uh, this passage teach us? And I apologize. During uh, this past week, it was a really crazy time uh, for me. Um, and so I forgot to make the, uh, I usually make the, the PowerPoint, but I didn't get to. But uh, I have several uh, points here. And the first point, uh, and the first thing that, uh, that, that th- I believe this passage teaches us is the fact that Jesus is sovereign over us, that Jesus is sovereign over you. Matthew's theme is the kingship of Jesus, that he reigns over all. Even nature, like the storm, or the coronavirus, for that matter, that Jesus is in charge. He reigns over all things. And in verse 22, it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. And he, Jesus made it, basically urged them strongly. That, that's the, the force of the word. He urged them strongly. He just didn't simply say, hey, I have a suggestion. Why don't you guys just get on the boat and you guys want to go over to the other side? No, no, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And in verse 24, it says, But the boat by this time was a long way, long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And it is the same language in Matthew chapter 8, 24, the passage that Pastor Jay talked about a couple weeks ago. It's just the same language. The boat was in the great storm. When we think about this, Jesus knew what was coming, and yet he urged them to go to the other side. Why? Why did Jesus make them go out into the sea, knowing well 
that that's what was going to happen to them again. Did he not know that there would be a great storm that would threaten the life of the disciples? Of course he did. Dealing with the question of why is a whole new topic that is beyond the scope of this message. Lord willing, maybe I can at a later time, I can uh, address this. But the question of why, because many people may ask, why this? Why this now? But that's just not uh, the, the focus of today's passage. But today, suffice it to say that an unknown and uh, unknowable divine will is at play. What this passage tells us is that Jesus is still in control over the situation. Jesus walked on the water and the storm calmed, calmed down when he willed it. This is something that only God can do. For there is no one here on earth can ever walk on the water or just calm the, uh, the storm down just because we wanted to at the moment. It shows us that Jesus is sovereign. In uncertain times, our natural instinct is to fear and either try to gain control over the situation or another way to deal with it is to despair. Whether we have a knee-jerk reaction or desperately try to exert control, our response should not stem from a, place, from a place of ignorance or unbelief. So uh, we've been pounding on this truth, pounding on God's sovereignty for some time now. But then what does that really mean? What is the implication that Jesus or God is sovereign? Jesus is sovereign. What is the implication? What does that mean to us? It means that if we do not believe that God is in control, that we are not going to believe that God can pull us out. God can pull us through during these trying times. Let me repeat that. If we don't believe God is in control, then we don't believe God can pull us through during trying times. It is only when we believe that God is in control, then we can believe that God can pull us out of this situation. If God permitted us to go through a situation like this, then certainly he's able to bring us out, uh, bring us out, of, uh, out of it on the other side because God is in control. His sovereignty over you implies that you are not forgotten. You are not forgotten by Jesus in this situation. You are known by him. Please know that you are his beloved. You are. God knows you. God is in control over you in this situation. We must look at everything in the backdrop of the cross and the gospel. If God has not spared his only begotten son so that we may have relationship with him, would he now forget or forsake us? Jesus' sovereign uh, sovereignty Jesus' sovereign means that he knows what he's doing. And it means that his plan for us will not be frustrated. When we say God is sovereign, that means he has a plan for us, and his plan is not being frustrated by this uh, pandemic or situation like this. God is not saying, oh man, that's not what I intended. That's not what this pandemic was about. Oh, no, what am I going to do? Maybe I should turn to plan B. No, 
his plan is not being frustrated at all by what's happening around us. This pandemic has caught us off guard and rocked our world. I mean, this past week was so crazy for me that I even forgot that today was uh, uh, until later uh, that I forgot that it was uh, the Palm Sunday. Um, I even forgot to make the PowerPoint. Uh, it, it, it's been a hectic time for, for, for me. But it hasn't taken God by surprise. He's at work now. He's at work. Everything in this world is when we say God is in control, it means that everything in this world is moving in the direction and the path that God has planned and that God has purposed. Even when it seems out of control, it is never out of control because God is in control. So the first thing that we have to understand is that Jesus is sovereign over you. That you are known by God, by Jesus. And the second point is that Jesus is interceding for you. That's just what passage would lead us to, to understand. In verse 23, after Jesus, uh, and, and it says, verse 23, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. After dismissing the crowd, this happened right after the, you know, the, the miracle of feeding 5,000 men with the five loaves of bread and two fish. So the, the crowds were really excited. Oh my gosh, this is the guy. Let's make him king. They were getting just really excited and try to force him to make him king, force him to become king. So he, knowing all their intentions, he said, just disperse them. And then he took his time. Instead of going right after that, going uh, to the, joining the disciples, he took his time to join them by praying alone on the mountain. Even though the content of prayer is not recorded, we can be reasonably sure that he was interceding for his disciples. We see it in other places where Jesus has been interceding for his disciples in many different instances. Luke chapter 22, as uh, Jesus was predicting uh, uh, Peter's denial of him, he said, I have been, uh, the, the Satan has been uh, demanding for you. That he's been trying to just have you, and, but then I have prayed for you. I have interceded for you so that he will not completely have you. So that when you turn from your denial, that you will strengthen your brothers. And that's what I have prayed for. Jesus, uh, Peter didn't know that. He said, what, what do you mean? I'm not going to deny you. But Jesus says, I have interceded for you. You see, in times when we do not know, in moments that we do not know where to turn to, understand that Jesus intercedes for us. When we go through tough times, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is interceding for us. Even now, please know that he is interceding for you. If you stop and think about it, are we the ones who should cry out to him? Are we the ones who are in desperate need and cry out to him? But I wonder how many of us are really crying out to him at this moment. It is Jesus who is interceding for us. 
while we may be busy playing video games, binge watching favorite, our favorite TV shows, that it is Jesus who is praying, not us. So this, uh, this passage tells us that Jesus is very, very much praying for us in, this, uh, in a time of need. And the third point is that Jesus, uh, point is that Jesus is present with you. Jesus is present with you. You know, the stormy sea is very often, uh, it, it, it very often represents a symbol of chaos and evil in the Bible. When you see there's a lot of imagery of raging sea, it means in the Bible, chaos, evil. And Jesus here comes to them in the fourth watch of the night, which is um, 3 to 6 a.m., right before the dawn. And their need was real. I mean, they've been struggling out in the sea for hours and hours late at night. I don't think they even had a, you know, they don't have flashlight back then. Out in the dark, the only thing they know is there were pounding waves coming upon them. Hours, hours and hours, it would not let up. So their need was real. And their fear was also real. But in the presence of Jesus, we see here that fear can be dismissed. So as Jesus was walking on the water, people, uh, the disciples, they realized that Jesus uh, was walking on the water and coming towards them. So they all, got, they were like, they were freaking out. And so they said, it is a ghost. It is a ghost. And then verse 27 says this. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Here, the, word, uh, the phrase, it is I, it literally means I am. It means I am. It's not simply, oh, it's me, it's me. No, but it says I am. It is the same phrase that God has used for his self-revelation in Exodus chapter 3, 14. In Exodus uh, chapter 3, 14, when God appeared to, uh, to Moses in the burning bush, said, told Moses to go and tell the people, tell the Israelites in Egypt that God will rescue them, God will deliver them. So then Moses said, well, I, they don't know who I am, and when I tell them that, that God sent me, what if they ask me, so then what is God's name? What is your God's name? Uh, God's name? What should I say? And, Jesus, uh, and God said there, I am who I am. The I am. I am who I am. Right? I am that phrase. That's the same phrase that Jesus used in this situation when he said it is I. It means I am. He's revealing that he is God himself. God is, uh, he, Jesus was using the situation to bring greater revelation of himself. It is often the times of trouble, when we go through tough times, that we get to find out more about who God is. It's just the way it works so often in our lives. Now, when things are going well, we are more apt to just pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, I'm doing a good job. When things are smooth sailing. But it is when tough times like this, when we are in dire situation, that we run to God and we can cry out to God. 
So what does this tell us? That you are not alone in this storm. The amazing truth is that the God of the universe, the almighty, sovereign Lord, has come to be with us. He is with us. He is with you. Please know that you are not alone. Peter is portrayed in the Gospels as someone who is pretty impulsive. He often puts his foot in, the mouth, in his mouth, but here he acts. He acts out in faith. I mean, how is this possible when a great storm made everyone so fearful, when they've been just struggling, barely holding on to the boat? But how could Peter, what prompted him to just come out and start walking on the water? What made him so calm down? It was Jesus' presence in the storm. When we are in a perilous situation, the only thing that can calm us is his presence. He is present with you. A few years back, right after I was, uh, 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 my time at my previous church ended, I, was, I, I had no place to go to. I had no idea what I was going to do. I was a lost man. I was struggling. And then I went to church on Sunday. The message was on this exact passage. And at that time, it's one of those, I don't know if you ever had that experience where you are surrounded by people, but you just know that the word that was coming out, the message was just for you. I mean, it's just like every word, you just pick up on every word and say, oh my gosh, that is me. He's speaking to me. It's it's as if like, I was like, I, I literally, I could not the whole time that I was listening to the message, uh, I completely got lost. I wasn't aware of anybody else, right? It was just, I was like, God is speaking to me. It was like everything that he talked about, it really just uh, touched to the core of my heart. And by the uh, end of, the, uh, end of the, the message, I was like, I was like in tears, right? I, I'm not a really uh, emotional guy, but that time, I mean, I, I really felt the presence of God that he was with me, right? And uh, it's not something that I didn't know before, but at that particular moment when I, had, I was so purposeless and I didn't know what was going to happen, I didn't know what God's calling would be uh, for the next season of my life, I was in desperate situation. And that message really comforted me and strengthened me so much. And I really felt the presence of God. And I, I was like, I was trying so hard to like hold back my tears, right? And you know, because Grace was sitting right next to me, and I was like, oh shit, I hope she she doesn't see see this. And I just kind of peeked just to make sure that she wasn't looking, but she wasn't looking, thank God. But also, she was like crying, right? And two of us, like probably people were thinking, what is wrong with this couple? Like, did they are they going through some divorce? You know, something like terrible or something. And uh, but God really spoke to us, and the one thing that more than anything. That, that I got out of that message was that Jesus, he was with me. He was with us. And that really calmed me down because it really strengthened me. And so this passage tells us that Jesus, he is present with you in this time. He, he is with you. He has been with you. He will be with you at all times. And the fourth point yeah, I have a lot of points today, uh, is Jesus is strength in you. Jesus 
is strength in you. Verse uh, 29, it says, so when Peter said, hey, let me, if it is really you, if you are not ghost, then tell me to come out and walk on the water. So verse 29, he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. He immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Peter became an object lesson for those of us, for those who take their eyes off Jesus and take more notice of the threatening circumstances around them. He was walking on the water, something that no human can ever achieve. But the moment that he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the raging waves and the sea that he was surrounded by, he started sinking. And he freaks out. He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs hold of him. Although we may start out with good intentions, often, let's face it, let's be honest, our faith is weak. It really is. We fall, we stumble, our faith falters. I cannot even count how many times my faith has wavered. I'm a pastor, and yet there were numerous times when I was doubting, I was, I was afraid, I was fearful of the circumstances and situations. I was afraid of people, what they may think of me. I cannot care to count how often my faith faltered. But every time I turned to Christ for help, he never turned a blind eye. And that is our hope. What matters, what matters is not how strong our faith is, how strong my willpower is, or how courageous I am. That's not really what matters. What matters is Jesus' saving presence and his strength in us. When we turn to Christ, he will be our strength. He will be our strength. Jesus, this passage tells us, when our faith falters and struggles, when our weak, uh, knees are so weak, but when we turn to him and cry out to him, Lord, save me, then Jesus will grab hold of him and pull us out. Jesus is strength in you. And the last point is Jesus is peace around you. In verse 32, and when they, uh, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, 7 says, you know, do not be anxious about anything, but with thanksgiving by, you know, uh, lift up your supplication to the Lord, and the peace of God which uh, surpasses all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Peace is not absence of troubles. It is knowing God's presence and understanding God's presence in the midst of trouble. That's why in Psalm 23, right, David confesses, Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
how comforting it is to know that our Lord Jesus Christ is peace. When we are in a raging storm, He is peace around you. Have you found this peace? Do you know this peace in the storm? I invite you and I challenge you to look to Christ. He is sovereign over you. And He is interceding for you. He is present with you. He is strength in you. And He is peace around you. Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord. And in a time like this, even more so now, we have to turn to Christ and find the peace, strength, His comfort, His guidance, His presence. We need it desperately. So why don't we go before the Lord and let's pray that we would find all these, all our needs in Christ Jesus. And also, as we also pray for those, uh, and as we pray, I invite you to also pray for those, pray for protection, pray for those of us who are in need, and um, pray for healing, uh, pray for the, the frontline healthcare professionals, uh, first responders. Uh, they need our prayers as well. Pray for our, uh, the elderly and the vulnerable, our parents, all of us. So let's go before the Lord and uh, take some time to pray. This is a time for us to pray. Father, we uh, turn to you. Lord, bring us to a place of trust. Open our eyes to see who you really are so that we may turn to you with all our hearts that we may pray to you like never before, that we may trust you like never before in times of need. As we are going through this extraordinary time, but this also calls for extraordinary um, faith and resolve and endurance and perseverance. Lord, we confess that our faith is weak we are no better than Peter. God, when we face such a strong storms in our lives, we falter. We get afraid. We lose sight of you. And we scramble. We stumble. God, we, we, we are so weak, God. But Lord, once again, remind us that you, Jesus, and the indwelling Holy Spirit, are there for us to pick us up when we fall. It is your presence that will bring sanity, that will bring peace, that will bring strength, that will bring trust in us. So Lord, as we go through these uncertain times, that you will draw us closer to you. Reveal yourself to us in a greater way, in a way that we have not known before, that it will not just remain as a head knowledge or lip service, 
but that we may see you. We may experience a greater revelation of who you truly are in times of desperation. Draw us, that we may draw nearer to you. We want to know you more in times of storm. Bring us, strengthen us, lead us during this time. And we pray for those of us who are going through really tough times, physically and financially. God, the needs are real. And they need your help. And it may very well come from, the help comes from the, uh, the fellow brothers and sisters. And so, Lord, use us also as agents of blessing to those who are in need. Protect us. Continue that your name will be magnified even more during this time. In Jesus' name we pray.